This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. You're listening to Season 7, and every week this season will bring you content about making disciples. Discipleship.org brings together other like-minded organizations who are focused on making disciples. Our goal is to help you become a Jesus-style disciple maker. You're about to hear from Disciple First, a Discipleship.org partner. But before we jump into this episode, I want to share with you a related resource written by Disciple First's founder. It's something you can download for free. Founder Craig Etheridge wrote Invest in a Few. It's a short ebook about getting started with discipleship personally by investing in just a few people. It's a short, practical, and relatable resource. Download it at discipleship.org slash ebooks. Today's episode features Craig Etheridge, actually, and it was recorded during the National Disciple Making Forum in their track called Leading Your Church to Become an Intentional Disciple Making Church. And the episode is called Crafting a Disciple Making Vision. Take a listen. All right. Hey, welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for being here today. I know you're excited. That first session was really inspiring, wasn't it? So I think we're in for a real encouragement, a real treat uh, at, here at the National Disciple Making Forum. Thank you for being a part of our breakout. My name is Craig Etheridge, and uh, our ministry is called Disciple First. I am a pastor of a church in the Dallas area. And so everything that I'm talking about has got to be fleshed out in the local church, right? Because this is where we live. We are practitioners we are not uh, theorists. We are in the trenches with you. How many pastors do we have in the room? All right, my brothers. Welcome, welcome. So uh, what we're going to talk about is uh, today, how do, how do you craft a disciple-making vision for your church? That's what I'm going to be talking about in this session. So if, if you're in the, you're like, man, I thought I was going to somebody else's session. Now's your time to... Uh, to slide out, all right? That's what we're going to be talking about for the next uh, 45, 50 minutes. How do you craft a disciple-making vision? Before I uh, jump into that, though, I'd like to tell you a little bit about what's coming in the next sessions. Really, this whole track is about how do you uh, instill a disciple-making culture in your existing church, all right? So everything that we're hitting on is going to be in that space. Okay. So today we're kind of looking at my, I'm leading off with a 30,000 foot view. How do I cast vision? What does that look like for that? But then we're going to dive deeper into uh, some other particulars. So the next session is going to be taught by uh, Dr. Chris Moody. Uh, there he is right over here. Hands up. There you go. Uh, uh, Dr. Moody is a, he's a pastor, First Baptist Church of Beaumont, Texas. And a great godly man, dear friend. Uh, he is also a professor of systematic theology at Liberty University. Uh, subject matter expert. So everything I've said has been cleared by the subject matter expert. <laughs> Amen? There you go. So uh, we're all good. And uh, so he is going to talk about how do you cultivate uh, leaders through disciple making? How do you raise up leaders in your church through disciple making? That's what he's going to talk about uh, in the second session. In the third session, you're going to hear from Gibson Largent. Gibson, raise up your hand, Gibson. Gibson is on our team. 
Gibson is a church planter in Philadelphia and has, has a, a unique strategy in that he said, I'm going to start this church not by trying to gather a big crowd and then figure out how I can disciple them, but I'm going to start it with a few and see them multiply and grow. And he's been at this for seven years in a very challenging part of the United States and has seen great success. So Gibson's going to talk to you about planting disciple-making churches. So if you have interest in that, you're thinking about church planting, or you know somebody that's here that needs to hear that, you're going to, he's going to share some real-life stories of his journey and some practical principles along the way, okay? So that's going to be fantastic. And then uh, next, uh, next day, um, tomorrow, uh, we're going to wrap up uh, Brent Parker. Brent is in the back. Raise your hand, Brent. Brent is pastor at First Baptist Church Van Cleve in uh, Mississippi, and he's going to talk about church revitalization. He's gone into uh, a couple of uh, pre-existing churches that were in decline or struggling and how he has brought revitalization, turning the corner, growing again, outreach-oriented um, because of disciple-making. In fact, I, I preached at his church this summer, and that night they had church service in the school, in the school gym, and they were going out and praying over uh, the school and praying over the students. And they have, they have had hundreds and hundreds of spiritual conversations as a result of discipling leaders and them having a disciple-making mindset. So uh, we're hitting uh, vision casting, leadership development, church planting, and revitalization. And then on the last session of tomorrow, we're going to have all these guys on the platform, and we're going to do a Q&A uh, on what are what are you seeing? What are you struggling with? What are issues that you want to talk more about? Uh, how disciple making impacts the local church? Okay, so that's what the whole track is about. I want to give you a little summary so that uh, hopefully you'll come back and uh, visit with us again uh, for the rest of your time here. Okay, so today what we're doing is we're talking about vision. We're talking about how do you cast a vision? How do you craft a vision? Uh, for a local church with regard to disciple-making. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is this Helen Keller quote. It's a famous quote, but I just absolutely love it, where she said, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. And there, quite frankly, there are many, uh, many leaders that are leading, but when they put their head on the pillow at night, they're like, I just don't know where we're going. I mean, I know how to keep the wheels turning. I know we got to have groups going. We, know we need preach on the weekend. We can keep the machine operating, but where are we going as a church and what does it look like to cast a vision of disciple making? So we're going to talk very practically about vision casting in this session. One of the things I know is that Jesus was a master vision caster. You know, he just, he was just great at casting vision. One of my favorite verses is found in John chapter four, uh, verse 35, Jesus said, uh, don't you say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. This phrase, open your eyes and look, those are visionary terms, right? to look, to see what is yet not seen, to see what is the possibility. 
Those are vision casting terms. I think if you began to do a study of the life of Christ, you started looking at how Jesus made disciples and made disciples and start looking for when were the times that Jesus cast vision. I think you would see that he cast it multiple times throughout his three and a half uh, year of ministry. Jesus was the master vision caster. He was able to capture people's hearts and their minds and their imaginations and to stimulate them in a way that moved them forward. So we're going to talk a little bit about what does that look like. But before I jump into uh, that, I want to talk about the problems of disciple uh, of, of vision casting. Okay, there, there are a couple of things that we do as leaders uh, that we think are intuitive and yet may actually be causing problems in our vision casting. First, first challenge in vision casting may, is that sometimes you are not the key leader, and you're trying to cast vision for disciple-making in the second chair. Uh, some of you are probably in that role right now. Maybe you are uh, women's ministry or your youth ministry or your associate pastor or you're in some uh, segment of the church or maybe a key high-level volunteer and you're not the lead pastor and so you're trying to cast vision for disciple-making but the lead pastor is not casting that vision. That can become a problem, right? Because you're trying to get it church-wide. So casting vision from the second chair can often be challenging. Uh, another problem or challenge with disciple is sometimes people are just resistant to vision. Have you all ever noticed that? Newsflash, right? People don't like to change. And, and, and usually you come, out, you come out with a, man, we're going to do this or we're going to do that. And they're like, oh, preacher, we're not going to do that. Here we go again. We're just going to wear him down, wear him to a nub, you know. He'll finally give up on his vision. You know, we, we don't want to change. So people are resistant while we think that vision inspires change. And it often does. I mean, you don't ever see great change until you have somebody that casts a compelling vision. But many times our vision dies a very quick death because we cast it out there with our heart. And then somebody pours a bucket of water on top of it. And then the vision goes out. So we have to be aware of the resistance uh, many times for vision. Here's another one. Uh, sometimes our vision is too vague. We'll make, we'll make uh, statements like, uh, man, we want to make disciples. But what does that mean? Uh, and what change are you talking about? And what, what does that actually look like? And, or we want to ignite a movement. Well, okay, well, what is that? Or we want to start a, a, a movement of multiplication. Well, okay, what does that mean for me? What they're really looking at is, okay, are you going to mess with anything that I like? That's what, they, that's what they're looking for, all right? What are you going to mess with? What are you going to change? And so a vague vision is not compelling. A vague vision sounds good when you're preaching it. But it does not move the organization forward because they don't really know what you mean. And so they're going to sit and not do anything and hope that you move on to something else. All right. Sometimes there's another one. Sometimes the vision is too grandiose. I think when I was a uh, young pastor, which I've never been accused of being a young pastor as of late. All right. I've got, got enough white in my beard, you know, to be accused of that. But when I was a young pastor, and I would get up and say, I have a vision for 10,000, you know, people going to come in, 5,000 being saved. I mean, I was just, I don't know what I was doing. Uh, but it sounded good, right? I, I heard that some big pastor did it one time, and, but it didn't fit in my little church, right? 
sometimes we, we, we think that grandiose numbers actually is motivational when many times what it does is it deflates people because they think, well, that's just pie in the sky. So what does real vision casting look like? I think probably the biggest challenge in vision casting for disciple making, and here's the number one mistake, is that most leaders do not understand that you must cast vision at multiple levels in order to really have a compelling disciple-making vision. Vision casting is not just what you do that one time a year on Vision Sunday when you roll out your vision for the church that you just preached one time. That is not enough. Vision casting must be a process that you're casting the vision on multiple levels and in multiple times and in multiple ways before people get it. Listen, they're not, they're not going to get it the first time. They're going to have to hear it over and over in different settings and different ways for you to really cast a vision for uh, disciple making. And so we're going to talk about that. What are the, I'm going to give you five levels that you must uh, speak vision into in order to have a transforming vision of disciple making. Five levels. Now, before I jump into the detail of that, by the way, I'm going to tell you what the levels are, and then I'm going to come back to them, and I'm going to talk about how, how do you do it at each level. Okay, so we're going to start a little bit big picture, and then I'm going to dive into some details. Do this, don't do that, all right? Uh, and hopefully that will give you some uh, traction. But when you, think about, uh, when you think about vision, you think about a horizon, okay? This is a, this is a picture of a horizon. My wife and I this summer took a trip to um, Colorado, Durango, Colorado. And so we drove from Dallas to Durango, which is about a 13-hour drive through a whole lot of nothing, all right? A whole lot of open spaces. And uh, I'm from West Texas, so we kind of went through West Texas, which you get the cotton fields and all that kind of thing, and the grain elevators and so on. And then you get into New Mexico, and then you get to some bluffs, and then you get to a few little mountain ranges. You're so excited to see something on the horizon that has elevation, but it's a whole lot of this just flat out horizon. Now you think about a vision is like a horizon in that the horizon is where the land and the sky meet, right? That's where the land and the sky meet. That is the horizon. And it's on that horizon is possibility. Think of vision that way. Vision is what is ahead of you. Vision is what I have not obtained yet, but it is what it could be. Vision is blue sky, but it's something that I can approach and I can get a hold of and I can bring into reality. And so uh, have this in mind because these five levels are going to help you understand how to cast a disciple-making vision. So let me give you, let me give you these uh, five levels, all right? Here's the first one, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to illustrate it with, with just a little uh, bump on the horizon, okay? Uh, the first level uh, of, of, of vision casting is a level where you are casting the vision to yourself. You're casting the vision to yourself. You have to be captivated with a vision of making disciples that is in you. That regardless of whether your church goes with you, regardless of how you get a paycheck, regardless of what you do with your life, you will be a disciple maker. You understand what I mean? 
That's, it's got to be inbred uh, within you. Jesus' first vision that he cast about disciple-making was not to the large crowd. The first, ca- first casting of vision is when in John 139, you know, when this, uh, uh, he said, follow me. You know, they said, where are you staying? He said, follow me and you'll find out. Come after me and you'll find out. In Mark, uh, Matthew 419, he said, follow me, he told them, and I will make you fishers of men. This was a huge turning point because these guys have been doing this work in fishing. And all of a sudden, Jesus calls them away from what they know, away from what's normal, away from what's predictable, to do something different. And he's casting vision. Just as they were casting nets, he is casting this vision. And it's, it's one-on-one. It's one-to-two. It's very, very small group. But he knew unless they were compelled to be followers of Jesus, that they would never compel anybody else to be follower of Jesus. And if you're not compelled in yourself to be a disciple maker, to make disciples, then you will never convince anyone else to do it. Does that make sense? I don't want us to overlook how vitally important this is because I think sometimes we think, well, that's what our church needs. Our church needs to make disciples. And so I'm, I'm going to cast a vision for it, but I don't really own it inside of me. And there's got to be, I believe there for most of us, there is this call to being a disciple of Jesus. Um, that is a turning point. I've told this story before in other settings, but I'll, I'll mention it briefly here. But I was pastoring a church in Oklahoma City, and uh, the church, uh, I had been there for three years. I had emptied out my bag of tricks of everything they would do that I thought I could make to the church grow, and uh, the church remained resistantly stagnant, okay? No matter what program I ran, no matter what I preached, no matter what event we had, we had friend day. We had, you know, bring your, you know, this day, that day. Everything, nothing seemed to, to move, lurch the church out of its uh, dormant state. And uh, we had a consultant come and um, he said, Craig, I can't, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what's wrong with the church. I'm going to do some focus groups. I'm going to do some data analysis. I'm going to look at all this guy. I'm going to tell you what's wrong and how you can move forward. I'm like, great, just bring it on. And so he, uh, he did all of that. And he had a report sitting on my desk. And I sat down at my desk in my office and I was just staring at this report. I hadn't, owned, I hadn't turned, opened it up yet. And I thought this could be either really good or really bad, right? I mean, maybe it's going to be good. Maybe I'm going to open it up and he's going to say, well, you just obviously missed this, this, and this. You, do, you pull these levers, you turn these dials, and it's just going to come alive again. Or he could say, brother, it's not going to happen. So I took a deep breath. I opened up the report, and basically the report said, uh, church is not going to grow. Church is not going to grow here. Can't happen. Uh, there's too much. Uh, the church, the people on the inside of the church don't match the people on the outside of the church. All these reasons why it won't work. Your best hope would be a relocation, but that really wasn't an option for us in that season. And um, it was very discouraging for a new pastor. Ever been there? Ever been discouraged? Wondering why things aren't growing? What you could have done, should have done different? And so I... Um, Slipped out of my chair onto my knees and then then on it stretched out onto my face with my nose in the carpet. And I prayed a very desperate prayer. I said, Lord, surely you didn't call me here to just hold the hand of a dying church. Surely this is not your dream. Your vision of this church would just sit here and slowly wither. 
God, I don't know what to do. That led into about a um, couple months of fasting and praying and gathering with our staff and leaders and to just order the Lord to speak to us. And one of the things that came out of that crisis moment, uh, and I've shared this many times, one of the things that came out of this was Jesus said, Craig, you've been, you spend so many times looking at different models of what other churches are doing. You, know, you go to that church, what they're doing, what's that church doing, what that church doing. But you've not looked at my model. You have, you have forsaken my model. And until you get a hold of my model, you'll never see growth here. And so this was an awakening. It was a conversion, if you will, to disciple making. It, it, was, it was as much of a Damascus Road moment as I've had as far as realizing, hey, the path I'm on is not going to produce the fruit. I, I, as a person, have to be devoted to Jesus and to making disciples and make disciples before I can ever lead our church to do that. Okay? So this, this first vision is a vision that you cast to yourself. Have you come to a crisis moment where you are convinced that disciple making is the only way to do ministry? Are you convinced that that's what, when you stand before Jesus, he's going to say, who are your disciples? Are you convinced that when he said, go make disciples, uh, that, that you're going to be accountable to him for that? Are you convinced because if you are not, you're going to try to lead into something that you're not that convinced of. You will jettison it as soon as you get resistance. All right? So the first level of vision is what you cast to yourself. And maybe this whole weekend can just be you going, God, have I had a crisis moment? And am I really committed? If I if I'm, was no longer a pastor and I was working in a factory or I was selling and I was doing insurance or I was doing real estate, would I still be a disciple maker? I used to tell my daughters, I say, you know what? I'm not making disciples because I'm a pastor. I'm making disciples because I'm a follower of Jesus. I just happen to be a pastor. And I would be doing this if I was digging ditches. I would be a ditch-digging disciple maker, right? Because it's, it's inbred in my bones. And it's got to be inbred in your bones. And if it's not, then start there. Say, Jesus, help me. We'll get to the how in a little bit. All right, number two level is vision casting to a small group. All right? So once you have convinced yourself that, uh, of this vision, then the second one is the vision that you cast to a small group. Once you are captivated with being a disciple uh, of Jesus, then you can begin to cast this with others that you're saying, hey, you know, follow my example and you make disciples and, and let's multiply ourselves. Jesus regularly casts vision to small groups of men. We usually think of vision casting as what I do in the big group. Most of Jesus' vision casting was not to the large group. It was, you go back and look at it, it's mostly with individuals and it's mostly with small groups. And Jesus began to cast vision to small groups that said, hey, you can make disciples and you can impact the world. A great example, of course, um, uh, let's put this, that one up there, Keith, that verse up there. Um, is it up there? Uh-oh. Um, you don't have Matthew 28? I do. It's, it's up here. <laughs> okay. There you go. That's where I, that's where I wanted to be. I'm at, I'm at level two, Matthew 28. All right. So uh, uh, Jesus came near and said to them, all authority 
has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, or surely, or remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here's a question. Who is he saying this to? To his disciples. Do we have any idea how many were there? <laughs> Eleven. All right. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. There may be a few more there. But we don't have any indication, if you go back and look at Matthew 28, that there was a massive crowd. This is obviously after Jesus' resurrection. This is prior to his ascension. That's going to be Acts 1.8 when he cast that vision. This is in Galilee. This is probably on Mount Arbel, which if you're going with me to Israel, which I'd love to take you with me to Israel, we'll actually go to that spot. But my point is that Jesus is casting this vision of making disciples uh, and multiplying. He's doing it to a smaller group. Now listen, it's very compelling for you to do the same. Acts 1.8, Jesus casts a vision, will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the world. He's casting that just to the few that are with him. And they go back at Pentecost and they wait and they pray until the Holy Spirit falls on them. Same thing uh, in Luke 10, uh, 1. In Luke 10, 1, Jesus cast vision to 72. He started with the 12, then they multiplied to 72. And he's recasting that vision to these groups. So what you find is that Jesus is often casting vision to smaller groups of people. And that is a powerful way for you to cast vision. Starting with yourself and then moving out to smaller groups. The Apostle Paul even did this. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. He's talking to that church and he's saying, follow my example, do what I am doing. So the first level of vision casting is to yourself, but the second level is to the small group. And by the way, small group vision casting makes a big impact. And the reason why it makes a big impact is that because when you cast vision to the large group, there's no accountability. But when you cast vision to a smaller group, there is some accountability. You can say, okay, are you with me or are you not with me? Are we doing this or are we not doing this? See what I'm saying? And so when you cast vision you can uh, with a small group, you can really begin to eyeball them and say, I need you to come with me and let's do this together. There's accountability involved. Um, Gibson was with me a couple of years ago. We took a group of men that had been discipled uh, on a ranch, and we spent the night out on this ranch. And while we're out there, we had a bonfire. This, this is how we do it in Texas, okay? I wasn't going to brand them, don't worry. Uh, but we had this fire, right? And then we brought them up, and I, and I had them come to this special place. And I one-on-one, I put a, a challenge coin in their hand that had uh, the call to make disciples, Matthew 28 on it. I put it in their hands, and I looked them in the eye and said, will you make disciples until Jesus comes? And they said, yes, I will. I mean, it was like a ceremony. That, that's powerful. You don't get that same thing when you hear a vision sermon with, with you know, lots of people. There's accountability. There's, there's bite to it, all right? So this is very important. Not only that you're casting vision to yourself, but you're casting vision of disciple-making and how they can make disciples, how their lives can make a difference uh, in the small group, all right? The third level, level, level three, is casting it to the church. All right, so this is level one, this is level two. Level three is when you cast vision to the church. Now, this is what most people think of when they think about making disciples, right? Uh, 
They're casting it to the church as a whole. Uh, you've personally done this. Now you've cast it to the men or women that you've discipled. And now you're going to cast it to the larger group. Now, here's, here's a warning. And I'm going to repeat this warning a couple of times. Many pastors, when they think of vision casting, they immediately go to level three. They think, well, I've, I'm, you're going to be tempted to do this this coming Sunday. You're going to have heard some great sermons. And you're going to have heard some great statistics. And you're going to write them all down. You're going to be so pumped up about disciple making that you're going to want to go out and say, church, forget what I was going to preach on. Give me Matthew 28. I'm going to preach. I've come from this great disciple making conference. We got to make disciples. Yeah, we're going to go. We're going to ignite. I mean, you're good. You're, you're, it's so tempting, right? Because you're pumped up. But if you have not really considered the cost yourself, and if you don't have anybody that you've actually convinced to go with you, that is going to come and it is going to go. And your church will not be any different. So you have to do one and two first. Now, I'm not saying there's not a time. There is a time to cast through the church. It's only at the third level. It's after you have uh, convinced yourself and after you've convinced others to come alongside you. And I think in Acts uh, 2, 42 through 47, we really see kind of the, uh, an environment of a church-wide disciple-making Initiative. They devoted themselves to apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread and prayer. Everyone was filled in awe. Many wonders and signs were being performed by the apostles. Now all the believers were together had all in common. They sold their possessions and their property to distribute to the, the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple, broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord was adding to their number. Those who were being saved. I mean, that's a great church, right? But they're meeting together. They're investing in each other. They're walking in relationship. They're praying. They're devoted to the teachings of Jesus. Where did they learn how to do all that? They learned how to do it from Jesus. This is exactly what Jesus modeled for his leaders, his disciples, that were then simply replicating that model in the life of the church. Everything the early church did was relational. I'm going to write this up here. Relational and intentional. All right? Relational and intentional. And so when you come to casting vision for the church, I'm going to talk to you more in a little bit about how to do that. It needs to be relational and it needs to be intentional. The evidence of changed lives was proof that the vision of disciple making made sense. Did you hear what I just said? The evidence of changed lives was proof that the vision of disciple making was worth chasing after. And the same is true in your church. The evidence of changed lives is what will make them say, yes, we have to do this. It's not enough for you to just get up and say, we should do it. It's not even enough to say that this is what Jesus did. But for you to say, this is to the church body, this is what God's called us to. And let me tell you a story about Ben here that I discipled and Ben and Rance. Is that right? All right. Ben and Rance and Jeremy were in my group. And let me tell you what's happened. And they come up and they share their stories of life change. Their wives get up and cry. Go, I don't know what you did to my husband, but he's a different man. You know, that kind of thing. And, and then all of a sudden you begin to see, hey, these guys' lives are evidence 
of that we need this replicated. Yes, Pastor, that's what we need. See what I'm saying? It's the changed lives. It's the evidence that show that disciple making is really worth pursuing. And so you don't have that unless you do one and two first. So you cast vision to yourself. You cast vision to those you're discipling in a small group. You cast vision of disciple making to your church body. Uh, there's a fourth level, level four vision casting. And that is when you cast it to leaders from other churches. When you cast that vision to church leaders and influencers that are not even in your church. Once you begin to do steps one, two, and three, people are going to say, man, what are you doing over there? What you, what, what's happening at your church? I see you, you're, you're starting new groups. How are you getting those leaders? Well, we disciple our men. Well, what do you mean you're disciple your men? We disciple our women. What does that look like? And so you're starting to have conversations with people that are even outside of your church, and uh, you're sharing with them the stories about what <clears throat> God has done. I was thinking about Brent. Brent's doing that right now. Uh, Brent has been convinced of disciple-making in his own heart. And then he started discipling men in his church. And then they began to disciple people. And then he started casting the vision to the whole church because he had these men to, as proof positive that this works, Right. And then all of a sudden, he's got some other pastors now in his area going, what, what are y'all doing? I hear something about your discipling couples and, and, and men and women. And what does that look like? And so he said, well, I tell you what, I can take you through what I'm taking them through. So he's discipling two or three pastors from his own area. Well, what's going to happen there? Well, they're going to turn around and multiply that into their churches. So he's, he's operating at level four because he's simply sharing what, God has done in his life and in, in and through his church. When, uh, when we first started uh, disciple-making in our church, we were just disciple. I was disciple. I was committed to being a disciple maker. We were discipling a few, and then we started casting the vision. So we decided to have a weekend conference. We called it the Ignite Conference. This was, man, almost 10 years ago. And I uh, thought I'd bring in all the people that I knew that influenced me so that our people could see that I wasn't the only crazy one. There were other crazy people that influenced me to be crazy. And I brought Bill Hull in and Ken Adams in. A lot of the guys that are here, you know, Dan Spader, a lot of these guys that were here came to our church and they started talking about disciple making. <clears throat> Same thing that I've been saying, but then they were repeating it again. But I had some pastors in our area that said, Hey, I hear that you're having these guys come in. You're talking about disciple making. Is it okay if we came to this conference? I'm like, yeah, I guess. I, it didn't really enter my mind that any other pastor or leader would be interested in this. Sure, we kind of put a little track together. Next year we did it again, and more leaders came. The next time we did it again, more leaders came. Pretty soon we had we had leaders flying in from all through the south and northeast and northwest coming into Dallas to go to this conference because they were hungry. Here's what I want you to know is the people around you, even in other churches, are hungry to know what this disciple-making is all about. They're confused about it. They don't really understand what Jesus-style disciple-making means, but they're interested and they know something needs to change. They know it, just like you know it. And so you being able to leverage your influence and go to lunch and, and talk with them about it would be really, really important in doing that, okay? So... Um, Level four is talking to leaders. And then let me give you the fifth level. Now I'm going to round back and I'm going to talk to you about how do we do this, okay? And that is with new church plants, all right? 
It's one thing to cast vision to existing churches. It's another thing to cast vision to new church plants. What's the difference between level four and level five? The difference is in level four, you have an existing church that already has kind of the baggage of the way we do things. Whereas level five, you're starting with a clean slate. You're starting with a new church that's getting started and casting vision of disciple making here has a great opportunity to grow and to flourish as that church grows and as that church plants other church. There's an exponential component to it because that church can plant a church that plants a church that has disciple-making DNA in it. So church planting is, is a natural outgrowth of, uh, of disciple-making. In fact, that's what happened in the early church. They made disciples, but what happened after they made disciples? They made disciples and they planted churches. Disciple make, I truly believe that if your church has a disciple making DNA, your church will plant churches because it is a natural outgrowth for you to multiply yourself. You multiply your groups and ultimately multiply your church. It is just a natural outgrowth. And the reason why only 5% of Southern Baptist churches ever plant another church and only 7% of evangelical churches only, only that percentage plant a church is because they do not have a disciple-making DNA. If they had that DNA, it would just naturally take place, and we would celebrate that. So it's only evidence of the need for disciple-making vision to be cast in the context of the local church. In the early church, the first two years, they filled Jerusalem with their teaching. In four and a half years, they were multiplying churches Acts 9.31. In 19 years, they had turned the world upside down. In 28 years, Colossians says that all over the world, the gospel is bearing fruit. The early church was a multiplying church because they had disciple-making at the core. Okay? So, a vision for disciple-making moves out from here. It starts with self, and then it goes out to, uh, the, to your church and then beyond your church. That would be what I call a level five vision uh, for disciple making. Okay, so now let me come back. I told you I'm going to introduce that. I'm going to come back over the next just few minutes here, and I'm going to do a little deeper dive into how to cast vision at each level. Okay, so uh, how do we do that? So let's go back to level one. How do I cast vision uh, for myself? I think that you see this in the life of Christ. That Jesus finally in himself in his humanity came to awareness of his calling, his purpose. Uh, we're not really sure exactly how that all took place, but we know that by Luke 2, 49, when they lost him, member in the temple, and when they finally found him, he said, when you know I'm about my father's business, that he was getting it by then. At least by then, he clearly was understanding his purpose. I believe that maybe one day when he was standing out on the Nazareth precipice, looking out over the Jezreel Valley, which looks like a patchwork quilt out today, looking, staring off, praying, Father, when is it going to be time? He's 29, 30 years old. But there was a day when the father said, all right, my son, it's ready to get started. It's time to walk away from your uh, construction job. It's time to start your ministry. And he went straight down all the way down to the north part of the Jordan, uh, the Dead Sea where the Jordan River was. That's where he was baptized, where he began his ministry from there. But there was a moment of calling. Um, I think that for you to cast vision to yourself, you need to go back and re-examine your calling. 
This, of course, starts with an authentic conversion, that, that you have truly been born again. You've given your life to Christ. It also means that you've surrendered fully to the Spirit of God in the calling that's on your life. My call to ministry was a very clear calling that, that meant I surrendered to God's purpose for my life. And I think sometimes it's good to go back. I hope that you'll do that this this weekend. Just go back and remember. What was it like when you were called to ministry? What did, what did God put on your heart? What, why are you doing this anyway? What is the significant calling? I, I guess I've been in ministry long enough to know that ministry cannot just be about how many attend your church on the weekends. Or it can't be about how many you had on Easter Sunday. Or about your pageant play. Or about your Disciple Now event or whatever the thing may be. Because those things fade. The only thing that will really give you satisfaction is saying, you know what? I know that guy. <laughs> I invested in him and, and he invested in that guy. Or I know that lady and, and look at how she's growing and maturing. It didn't, didn't Paul say to the Thessalonians, he said, what is my joy when I stand before the world on that day? Is it not you? You're my joy. You're my crown. So I really think that it comes back to just re, just reminding yourself of your conversion, reminding yourself of your calling, reminding yourself of what it meant to be surrendered to the Spirit of God, and then to begin to practice the disciplines of being a disciple. Listen, you cannot make something you're not. You will always reproduce what you are. So if you're not in the Word every day just to hear from God on your own, if your only time in the Word is to prepare a sermon, then how are you going to reproduce self-feeders? If, you're not, if you don't have a list of three or four men that, or women that you're trying to lead to Christ just because you care about them, how are you going to get other people to do that? So kind of going back to the basics in your own life and living those things out in your own life, I would start there. And what you do is you recast the vision again. You stir up the vision again of what it means to be the thrill and the joy of being a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. Uh, on level two, how do I cast vision to uh, a small group? You know, Jesus had an amazing way of casting vision in a small group. And I just want to pass this off to you. Um, he would use a formula, formula, something like this. Just as I blank, <clears throat> so you blank. All right? So just as I dot, 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 dot. It'd be interesting study for you to go back and look at how many times Jesus said, just as I blank, so you now blank. And what, what Jesus was doing is saying, I'm leading as an example. I'm the one that's going before you. Now you just follow what I'm doing. Uh, think about in 1 John 2, 6, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Philippians 2, 5 says, has the same attitude in you. That is in Christ Jesus. In John 6, 57, he said, I'm dependent on the Father, so you depend on me. John uh, 13, 15, just as I, do as I do, uh, I'm setting an example for you. John 13, 34, love as I have loved you. John 14, 12, greater things will you do if you follow me. John 15, 10, uh, keep my commandments as I have kept the commandments. John 20, 21, uh, he, Jesus said, I am set an example for you to follow. So there, there are all these great examples here 
of Jesus saying, I am leading from the front. I'm setting example. You do what I'm doing. If you want to cast vision to a small group of people, just say, hey, let's go do this together. Watch, come to my house and watch me do a quiet time. Come, let's pray together. All right, let's go share our faith together. Now you watch what I do. Now you do it. This, this, is, this is Jesus's way of casting vision of being a disciple to a small group of people and then challenging them not to settle for anything less. I've got a group of guys that I'm discipling right now, Brent, Bobby, and Chad. They're my, they're my three guys I'm pouring into right now. Brent, Bobby, and Chad are extremely successful in the world's eyes. They made a lot of money. They're top of their, their org chart in their business. They are extremely successful people. But when I disciple them, I say, you guys are settling. They go, what are you talking about? We're not settling. Oh, yeah, you are. Man, if you're living your life only for what you can accumulate on this earth, you are settling. Because all that's going to burn or be given to your grandkids and they'll spend it all. All right? It's all going to be gone. You've got to live your life for a greater vision, something that's more significant than just stuff. You can't waste your one little life on that. You've got to use up your one little life for things that really matter for eternity. And you call them up. That's why Jesus said, you want to follow me? I'll make you fishers of men. I always like to fish for men, not just fish. He's saying, that thing that you're giving yourself to, you're bigger than that. God's vision is bigger than that. God can use you greater than that. So when you're talking to this group number two, you're not only saying, follow my example, but you're also saying, don't settle. Don't settle for less than God's very best for your life. By the way, the best thing that can happen for those guys is to realize they're stewards of all that they've got anyway, right? And the greatest joy they can have is to follow Jesus in. All right, if you're casting vision at level three, let me give you just a couple of practical things. This is having to do with casting vision for the church. Casting vision of the church has two parts, all right? The first part is this, that you're casting vision of disciple-making to your church staff. If you have a church staff, like a paid staff, you got a, a worship guy, you got a youth guy, you got somebody like that, a children's person, you need to definitely start there, okay? If you say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm in a smaller church on my church plan. I just have volunteers there. That's great. Then those, those are your staff anyway. It just, it just means that they're not getting paid, right? But they're your staff. They're the people that are leading ministries. You always start there. Chris is going to talk more about leadership development, but I will just say that if you're casting vision to your whole church, if your staff's not on board, you're wasting your breath. So you got to start there with your staff and casting the vision to them. That means you need to start by discipling them. Uh, Every place that I've been, I've always started by discipling the staff first, setting clear expectations, holding them accountable, developing a pathway for your church, okay? A spiritual growth, disciple-making pathway. And then when that is in place, then you cast it to the whole church. Then you cast it in vision casting large church gatherings. Uh, but you listen, even, even when you're casting to your whole church, think about, think about uh, communicating through what I call cascading communication. All right? I'm thinking about like water that trickles down off. This kind of looks like a wedding cake, doesn't it? I don't know. Maybe I'm just hungry. Anyway, but just think about it like a fountain that water comes down. You have tribal leaders. These are the people in your church that 
it, unless they're in front of, unless they're for it, it's not going to happen. You know, they may or may not be on a committee, but you know those people. You need to talk to them. You need to talk to your staff. You need to talk to your uh, uh, maybe your your deacons or elders or you know those that have ecclesiastical authority. Then you got to talk to small group leaders and student leaders and kids leaders, right? And then you get to the congregation uh, below there. But if you are casting vision down in these multiple segments, then when you get to casting the vision to the whole church, everybody's like, yeah, that's right. That's what we're doing. Pastor already told me about it. Well, I already knew about it. That's where we're headed. And everyone will get on board much easier. If these people have never heard of this yet and you go straight to here, then you've got some backtracking to do. Because I'm like, well, Pastor, you didn't say anything to me about that. You didn't run that by me. And so they feel like you bypassed them completely. So start with your staff. Begin to work through your tribal leaders and your influencers and your ecclesiastical groups. And then cast to the whole church. And then when you do it to the whole church, preach your socks off. Spit, stomp, let the vein bulge out in your neck. Preach it with passion Preach it with fervor. Preach it as if life depends on it because it does. It does. All right. Uh, Listen, when you're preaching, be sure that you're preaching a a pathway. All right. What that means is that you're not just going to say we need to make disciples. What you're saying is this is how we will make disciples in our church. Here's what you do in step one. Here's what you do in step two. Here's what we do in step three. And you are actually giving them tangible steps to move along a disciple making pathway. I could spend another hour talking about how to craft a disciple making pathway. We don't have time for that. But be sure that when you're casting the vision, you give them the hows, not not just the whats. I understand what I'm supposed to do, make disciples, but how am I going to do that? What will that look like? And and how is that going to fit in what we're doing? They need to know that. But if you run it all by these people first, by the time you get to the church body, you've already debugged it anyway. All the things that could be potential arguments or problems with it, you've already surfaced it and dealt with it by the time you get to the church as a whole. Okay. Uh, Very quickly, I'll wrap this up. Um, Casting vision to uh, influencers outside your church. Uh, This is mostly done one-on-one, even though God may allow you to um, have opportunity to talk to maybe your denominational um, groups, or maybe have pastor's gatherings or Uh, children's ministry gatherings or student ministry gatherings where you can share what you're doing in your church. But finding opportunities, ways, pockets where you're dealing with other leaders where you can say, well, let me just tell you what's happening. It's more of just a testimony than anything. Let me just tell you what's happening in our church and how we're making disciples and how God's raising up leaders and multiplying. Uh, You do that a couple of times and people will follow you after the meeting and say, now tell me, what was that? What was that all about? Can we go to lunch and talk about that? And then that's when you begin to share what God's doing then you have an opportunity to influence them. Listen, you have a sphere of influence. Be sure you use it well and steward it well. And by the way, at Disciple First, our ministry can help you do that. If you would like to gather other leaders in your area, we do a thing called a forum where we'll come into your church and we'll help you gather uh, other leaders, church leaders in your area, 
30, 40 people we'll have over lunch, and we will cast vision of disciple-making. And then afterwards, we'll find out who's really interested in moving forward. So that may be a way that you can partner with us, and we can partner with you to cast that vision and let you be the begin to be the influencer and the trend leader of disciple making in your area. Wouldn't that be cool? If you could see other churches following your example. And then the last one is this, casting vision for church planting. Uh, let's see what I'm, how I'm doing on time. Okay, I'm doing, I'm doing great. I can do this in just a couple minutes. Um, as you're casting vision for church planting, you need to be sure that you are you are clarifying the desperate need for church planting. I, I just came back from Chicago uh, a couple of weeks ago at a church planters uh, conference. Most of the guys over there, about 60 people there. Most of them were leading church planting networks, okay? So these are like denominational leaders of church planting networks. And this is the recent data that they shared with us. The first data point is this. This is the ratio of churches to people in population in the United States currently. That is one to 1,000. So they're roughly one church for every thousand people in the United States. You say, well, that's, that's not that bad. Okay. One in 1,000. This next point was this. If we want this one in 1,000 ratio to be in existence in 30 years, that is by 2050, which sounds like a long way away, but guys, that's, you can remember 30 years ago, right? You have conscious memory of 30 years ago, and it went by like that. 30 years from now, if we want this ratio of 1 to 1,000, that means we must start 1,900. We must add 1,900 new churches every single year. All right? We've got to add 1,900 churches every year in order to keep that same ratio in 2050. You say, well, how are we doing in uh, starting new churches, evangelical churches in the United States. Here's good news. We're, we're starting 4,000 new churches a year. And we're crushing it. We only need 1,900. We're getting 4,000. We are, we are killing it as far as planting and starting new churches. Yes, but the next number is different. 3,700 is how many churches are closing their doors. 3,700 churches every year are turning off the lights, padlocking the doors, putting a sign in the front yard and saying we're out. So what that means is we're only netting 300 new churches a year. If we have to have 1,900 and we're only netting 300, that's roughly about 15% of what the need is. You know what that means if that trend continues? If only 5% of Southern Baptist churches or only 7% of evangelical churches continue to only plant churches, what that means is that in 30 years, our country will look vastly different than it looks like right now. It will look increasingly unchurched, increasingly secular. It won't be anything like what you, your grandchildren are going to live in a different world. And so the only hope that we have of turning that tide is to start churches. And not just any church. We need to start disciple-making, multiplying churches. See, this is why we're in the mess we are now, because there wasn't the disciple-making DNA, which led to healthy church multiplication. 
But if you plant disciple-making churches, they will multiply and they will multiply rapidly. So let the need be known that we must be about church planting. You go, well, man, I don't, I don't know that we can really plant churches. Well, you know what? You can do a couple of things. You can uh, join other disciple-making churches. Want to plant? Our church is planting churches. Uh, we're always looking for partners to help us. Other, other disciple-making churches are doing it. You can go together and plant a disciple-making church together. You can release some of your members to go challenge them to go plant a church. We're going to plant a church um, about, uh, I don't know, 10 miles from our church. And I've already got people that are going to say, hey, I want to go with that church plant when it gets started. I'm like, all right, do it. We need that. But listen, this must be a calling of leaders is to think beyond ourselves to what's at stake in the future. Okay? So just to recap, God wants you to be a level five kind of leader. And he wants you to cast vision for disciple making at every single level. So here's some quick thoughts to ask yourself. At what level is my disciple making vision currently? You may only be... You may be just doing three without one and two and wondering why three isn't working, right? Maybe you are at one and at two. Then you know three is your next step or four is your next step or five is your next step. But it's going to take more people, more leaders casting vision at the level five stage for us to really see movement of disciple making happen in our country. And that may start with you in your town, in your environment, with your church, saying, I'm committed to being a level five vision caster and to multiplying my church and my life. May you do it to the glory of God. Father, we thank you that you have given us such a great example in Jesus who cast vision at every level and has gone before us And Father, I pray that you would show us how to be great vision casters, that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would lead us by your spirit, that we would spend time in prayer and in the word, and that, God, we would begin to be a disciple, be so committed to disciple making that this is what we do no matter what, and then we would invest in others and we would cast that vision to them and say, follow my example as we go and and then we would spill over into our church and then our church would begin to make disciples and then, God, we could influence others that would then plant churches that would multiply until you come. Lord, keep us from small vision. Keep us from safe vision. Lord, give us, uh, give us dreams. Give us vision of what our impact our lives could have if we would live it fully for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Have a great afternoon. That's it for today's episode. Check out Disciple First's founder's book, Invest in a Few by Craig Etheridge, when you go to discipleship.org slash ebooks and look for Invest in a Few. Thanks for listening. Until next time.